Welcome back to this crazy ride. Hope you guys watched Truth and Lies, the Menendez brothers on Hulu, because we have a lot to say. Grab your tea and let's see what we can uncover. Although, this one may just leave you with more questions. So let's spill the tea. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And, and we, we are Crime TV. TV. I thought this was going to come off really theatrical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did it first because it they're using terms like rock degeneration. I'm like, did it did it really though? Yeah. I'm sure it was sensationalized, but that's a bit far. I don't feel like it did. They were trying to go for that 80s rock imagery. My, I, like I asked my mom and she was like, "Ah, yeah, I kind of remember maybe hearing about something." Like, I made my mom sound way more country than she is. She's not a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what you made your mom sound like. She's not a hick. Um, sorry, Mom. And there was so much background in this one. Yeah, they really did a big family history. Wowie. Yeah, wooey wowie. There was a lot of family history with this one. I think I even wrote down, yeah, I wrote down 38 minutes in before we got to the actual crime. Right. Which, this is something that kind of struck me as odd. Usually with these documentaries, you really kind of progress into the story. Like the family history stuff is probably something that we would normally see. But the opening credits, they automatically are like, yeah, and these two guys killed their parents. Okay, we could have like worked up to that. Like, you can't just go in and just get me (laughs) right in the first opening credits before we even jump into the actual meat and potatoes I mean, this case is almost 40 years old over 40 years old no it was 30. 89 so 32 years old can't math <laughs> much math i have a business degree much I, math <laughs> i have a science degree i don't do i don't do the maths <laughs> yeah so this is like an old case though I, I guess they were expecting people to just know already know what was up and which be- i well i didn't right i you, didn't know about this case yeah you went in absolutely blind with this and the As thing, I do most of these. Right? I'm just like, hey, Aaron, we're doing this one. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a crime, I'm a crime show newbie. Yeah. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm an old dog around here. I'm like Clint Eastwood in the true crime world. But the only thing I knew about this case was that these guys murdered their rich parents. And There's, that's all I got. Okay, so, I mean, you didn't go into it, like, blind, blind, but still. I knew where the last chapter was going. This was, yeah, okay. You you had opened at the, you would open the summary page. I read the last page of the book. Is that the prologue? No, the prologue's before. Right. Epilogue. Yeah. You wrote, you wrote. One of those. the epilogue. I haven't read a real book since Twilight, let's be real. Jeez. (laughs) Moving on from that, Wow. They did date all the years, even on the backstory, which mm-hmm. I really appreciated. I'm big on timelines. As we've I, seen. <laughs> I get so distracted if I don't have a timeline, so I need them to keep me in check with with the timeline, which they did really good on. Like, even in the backstory, like, they had, like, showing me that it's 1950-something, like. Yeah. With the dad. I was good with up. it. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And what else impressed me? Hmm. I was really impressed that they had actual footage from police at the scene. And I guess because this was so in the news, maybe, 
But I was so, I just was like, oh, like I didn't, I didn't expect this documentary to have crime scene footage on video. Yeah. Featured. Because it, I think because it's an older case and normally that's not a thing that's done as much. Right. So I was like pleasantly surprised. And to be fair, you and, you and I weren't even born whenever this case happened. No. So there's been a lot of technological advances in the crime world since then. I mean, I'm not saying the crime footage was like crystal clear or anything. Like you were like, oh, that's a VHS. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That was on a floppy disk. (laughs) It probably is on a floppy disk in some like police dark evidence archive room or something. In the back closet. I did like that they actually did include that. Mm -hmm. And I liked that they drove the documentary forward. With that Barbara Walters interview. Ooh, yeah. Our, our Lord and Savior, Barbara Walters. She does fantastic work, My honestly. lovely aunt. Like, you hear, you hear there's going to be a Barbara Walters special, and yeah. you're like, well, that is going to have some good shit. She's not afraid. And they were, like, trying to paint the picture of, like, oh, we're just, like, these innocent kids. And she's like, you murdered your parents, first off. This was not a crime scene-heavy documentary. Mm. We saw the crime scene, a, a bit of it. Like their foyer, a cleaned footage. up living room. Some footage. Yeah. And we heard what was in some of the trial, the first trial of the brothers. But, I mean, we didn't know really, like, how the events unfolded, what, if any, evidence was found. There was, I remember specifically, there was a portion where one of their witnesses or their interviewers said that there was gun residue on the brother's hands. Mm-hmm. And then later, I think it was Eric himself in, in another interview, probably the Bar- Barbara Walters interview, stated that they never tested them for gun residue. Yeah. And that was an inconsistency, which I didn't like that. And I can deal with an inconsistency between what two people say in a documentary because... Mm-hmm. Crime cases are like that. But to also not clarify that, to not, like, ask any of the LAPD officers to not have any credible resource to ever go back and clear that up. Well, that's one of the things that really struck me is that they had one of the former sergeants for the Beverly Hills Police Department that they said, well, we didn't process them as potential suspects because we thought they were victims. (laughs) Okay, what kind of protocol is this shit? Things we've learned since the 80s, number 582. It's always somebody in the house that didn't get shot up like mom and dad did. But I guess back then, like, they didn't do that. Like, you're not gonna... You're Beverly Hills good boys. Yeah, you're not gonna immediately start, like, processing them as a criminal. Right. Because the family was very publicly known. Yeah. And you're not gonna be the asshole cop that brings in one of Beverly Hills' richest, most well-known family's sons immediately for murder. The prosecution, that's one of the things that they said, is that the rich kids, they file complaints and do all the legal stuff that gets anybody that's not in compliance in trouble, whereas the poor kids, like, they just go to jail. And, And that's how that goes. So rich boys like Eric and Lyle, they would have the the knowledge to fight back and the money to fight back. And so I think that might be something that influenced Beverly Hills PD to kind of treat them with a little bit 
bit of VIP experience, maybe. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And while we're on details of crime scenes and processing, apparently, according to the crimemuseum.org, the brothers picked up the shell casings and tossed the guns into a canyon. Shut up. And then went back to the house, and that's where we hear the audio of the 911 call, where they're mm-hmm. like, crying and really upset why did the documentary leave that out why did the documentary not address the fact that at the crime scene there were no shell casings at the time i'm sure they didn't know that the boys had tossed the gun into a canyon but isn't that something you would want to mention in a documentary yeah i would think but nevertheless the cops should have known that the shell cases were missing and like that's one of the things you address with us Yeah, that would be my only real complaint with this documentary, is just that we didn't get the investigation part of Mm -hmm. the crime scene. We got the family history, the family dynamics, we got the trial, we got the the details of, of their life and grew up and what may have caused this, but we actually were missing the investigation evidence crime scene details. For you and I that are so type A and like, we want to know the who's, the why's, the what's, the where's. I feel like it it might have done people like you and I a little bit of injustice as far as, like, the evidence goes. Yeah, well, that's why I felt like I was missing that part. I was like, wait a minute. Did the police find anything in the house? What what did they find? You're leaving me hanging. <laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah. I did miss that a little bit, which is why it was nice to have. That's why I looked it up for myself after the documentary, because I was like, well, wait a minute, like... Was there gun residue on their hands? How did that interviewer say that? Why did they say that? Because if they didn't get processed, she would have no way of knowing if they had gun residue on their hands. So it's time for our T rating. Mm. How are we going to rate this documentary? Alyssa, what you giving it? (sighs) Wait, what kind of tea are you drinking? We actually, I would like to say, guys, we actually do drink tea. While we do this, we did not just pull the podcast name out of our asses. We're two friends on a Sunday afternoon that record podcasts about crime shows and drink a cup of tea together. Our own cup of tea. Well, yeah, we don't share a cup of tea. We're in a pandemic. Uh, A global Pangea. (laughs) There's a thing going on. Why why are we even making it like it's about the pandemic? I'm sorry, we would not share tea even if we were not in a pandemic. Love you, mean it. This is mine. But (laughs) I am drinking this Yogi... I believe it's Yogi, not Yoji. <laughs> I have Yogi today, too. Yogi! So this episode is not sponsored by Yogi. It just so happens to be what we're drinking. I'm drinking their Detox Healthy Cleansing Formula Caffeine oh. Herbal Supplement. That's a lot to take in. Certified organic. Oh, lovely. I have... I threw the bag away. I think it's caramel apple spice. Ooh, yeah, that one's good, too. And I put some milk in it to make it a little creamier i also added some sugar but i didn't need to do that <laughs> it's already kind of it's already pretty sweet and it actually does kind of taste like an apple pie that very really good i'm very pleased with this yeah. tea so on my cups of tea on one cup to five cups i would give it a four i think this is a pretty solid documentary produced by abc i just wish that we would have had a sprinkle more of evidence behind it rather than the trial and the history. I wanted more forensic science. Okay. I'm going to give it four cups of tea as well for similar reasons. Although I don't necessarily think they should have cut out anything else. Right. Just added two. Just added. 
just added to. Sometimes mm -hmm. the background can feel like it's dragging down the pace of a documentary, but on yeah. this one, I actually appreciated and felt like it was relevant. Mm -hmm. So, four cups of tea. All right. So, total of eight out of ten cups of tea for this one. Woo! Okay. Now, now we get the fun part. Woohoo! Alyssa's favorite part. Yeah! The gossips. The real tea. So, we're going to talk a little bit about the case itself because... Okay, first of all, you guys, we didn't watch this one beforehand. Like, a lot of times we watch these with you, essentially. We tell you to watch it for the next week. We also have to still watch it for the next week. But honestly, this one was heavy, and I yeah. was not prepared. Sorry about that, you guys. So, some of the things we may talk about include child molestation. Sexual abuse. Yeah. Just a lot of heavy stuff. So, we are warning you now. We're going to start talking about the case, and that's going to come up. So listen with caution if those kinds of things affect you. So one of the first things that I noted was one of the prosecutors said, rich families are just as dysfunctional as poor families. And this documentary really shed some light on that theory. Well, it also contributed really heavily to not only like bringing that to the attention, but also mentioning that these people didn't get checked as suspects because they were rich, because they were popular, famous, if you will. Because of their status, mm -hmm. there was a lot in this investigation, I think, that could have been solved a lot sooner mm -hmm. had they not had money and status. As someone that works in higher education, I thought it was funny that the dad donated $50,000 to Princeton, and it was almost as leverage for Lyle to get into Princeton and have that status, as opposed to going to a community college or whatever, where Lyle may have been more successful. Princeton kind of had this heavy status that you had to uphold there. That just kind of shows where some of these rich families, they have leverage like that, and we think as middle-class people... That, oh, they have this great life, and they get all these perks, they go to Princeton, they're in the tennis club, they are in the country club, but they're just as dysfunctional and messed up as we are. Yeah. It's oftentimes just hid by the, the status and the money, so <laughs> that's how it is. This kind of transitions us into the dad just being generally abusive to his wife, Lyle, and Eric, but that's really... The beginning of the documentary only talks about him just being abusive. It didn't really allude to what we find out later. I think it's interesting that, too, that a lot of people still don't completely acknowledge that that was going on. There were still people who think that that was an act or that they were making that up for the trial because it gets a defense that you can't really prove. Right. After the fact, like there are people that fully think all of that information was totally fabricated just to try and get them out of a harsher sentence. Well, I think that maybe you could have argued the case of it being fabricated more if they didn't have the family members that testified to the boys talking about the molestation. Like whenever they're eight, 11 years old, I think it would have been a lot harder of a case to argue. Well, also, it would have maybe made a much bigger difference, not to the jury necessarily, but to anyone learning about the case. I think having it televised and being able to see the visceral emotions that they had just trying to talk about it. Right. That stuff, I think, would be very, very difficult to fake that to that degree. Right. And I think that 
that was one of the more compelling things for me just as a viewer. You could totally tell the raw emotions on Lyle and Eric's faces whenever they're trying to talk about the sexual molestation that they experienced as children from ages 6 to 18, I believe it was, for Eric. And then Lyle was about the same age range, I believe. I think they might have said 8 years old. Yeah, is whenever he first reported it to his aunt. But the way that they responded when they were telling this, it was very, very genuine. I don't think that, as a viewer, that I had any inclination that it was a show. That no. it was dramatized. Like, that was someone genuinely hurting. Yeah. I, I got the same feeling, too. And I, But I wonder if that's also somewhat of a generational thing. You and I grew up in a time that's very attuned to people's emotions and, like, going to therapy and, like, talking about mm-hmm. our feelings and all that kind of Just stuff. Just getting it like, out there. Yeah, just being your your honest, emotional mess of a self out in the public eye. Mm -hmm. Whereas that's one of those things that like this was this was the very, very early 90s to go into a courtroom, especially as men and have that kind of reaction. People at that time may have thought it was an act because why would you advertise that kind of stuff? Yeah, I guess that's one of the things that you and I may not have such a good grasp on is that we've always kind of lived in this world where you can be open about this stuff. You can seek help, whereas it was very commonplace in the 80s for that stuff to be behind closed doors and just bottled up, whereas we know that that's not the best way to work through those emotions here in 2021. Well, because and that was one of the things where... I think it was a prosecutor that was being interviewed may have said that as prosecution, like, they didn't want any of that in the case. They thought that was fake because it was just recently something that could be brought into a court. Yeah, they probably thought it was so far out there that it should be admissible. Yeah, that it was a story. So I think that that definitely changed kind of the course of that trial. And I think that it's easy to not assume, but we know, we be knowing that people who experience these childhood traumas later in life, they start to act out. And so whenever they were teenagers, Lyle and Eric committed those petty burglaries and their dad wrote these big fat checks to just make it go away. So I think that they've never really had to suffer real consequences for their actions because they didn't get any kind of judicial process. Dad just wrote a big fat check for whatever damages that they caused. Yeah, that could have definitely changed kind of how they approached potentially illegal subjects. Right. Whereas regular people might have gotten real jail time, they just got off with like a slap on the wrist probation for those burglaries. Another thing that I found interesting. We have painted this entire picture of this family that has a terrible relationship amongst themselves. The dad's cheating on the mom. The mom is off with her friends, doesn't really know what to do, doesn't have control of her kids. The kids ODing on Valium. OD on Valium. The kids are committing burglaries with their friends, like going nuts, just doing whatever they want. The entire documentary paints this picture of just this horrible family relationship. And then we see them talking about how incredulous it was that they went and bought a Porsche and nice watches with 
the money after they killed their parents people were just stunned that they would go do that and it's like would you be horrifyingly sad that your sexual abusive father was finally gone out of your life no we'd be balling out i i don't know why that shocked people so much that they felt like it was a sign of no remorse we've only heard this entire huge story about abuse that they've suffered at the hands of their father he's finally out of their life like no, they probably aren't that sad about their dad. They probably have no qualms about spending his money. Well, on the night of the murders, Eric made the statement that his dad told him to go upstairs and that they were going to have sex. And I think that that was probably the thing that he said, okay, enough is enough. So Eric probably had some sense of relief almost that after these murders were done, he doesn't have to worry about just being a toy for his dad. He could just be his own person and not have to worry about living under this demanding hand of his dad's sexual desires. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a very stressful, like, obviously, that would be a stressful thing to live under. And I think there is definitely some sense of relief associated with it. I think a lot of this case does boil down to the fact that while they were adults and they should be treated like adults, Mm -hmm. at the same time, they're not even in college yet. Or Eric wasn't. Eric had graduated high school June of 1989, and these murders took place in August of 1989. So he would have been going to college, potentially, at that point, at UCLA. It would have been almost his first week of class. That's what I'm saying. Not really even in college. And so obviously, if you've been dealing with something like that, I don't know. Like, I just, everyone painted these two brothers as just vile, evil. Snot-nosed. Yeah, Beverly Hills rich kids. And I don't see that side to that extent. They brutally murdered their parents. And that definitely deserves punishment by the law. There's no question of that. That's obviously a terrible thing to do. Doesn't matter the case. But at the same time, I understand why there was a hung jury and a mistrial. I understand why they couldn't quite reach consensus about whether or not they deserved the death penalty. I think... After everything that happened to them, I I kind of am of the thought that death penalty would be too severe. Well, a lot of people made the statement that they could have just ran. They could have ran away from their problems. And it seems like they were in the process of doing so. They confronted their father and said that they were going to come forward about the abuse and they were going to go through the judicial process with that. And when confronted with the fact that they were going to expose this abuse, Their dad, Jose, purchased many guns and told them that he was going to kill them. So it really amplified this dumpster fire of a household situation. So it was very heat of the moment in August of 1989. Also, that was the same month that the mom and dad removed Eric and Lyle from their will. Then there was the threat of them being murdered if they exposed the abuse. And then that evening of August 20th, whenever the dad was like, oh, we're going to have sex, they just had the last straw. So it's like a crime of passion, but had the family histories have not been exposed, you would have thought that they were just some snot-nosed kids that wanted to kill their parents for insurance money, that they bought these Porsches, a restaurant in Princeton, New Jersey. But I think that's where the second trial kind of did them a misjustice because they didn't allow that family history sexual abuse, molestation to be discussed, which is really 
what ultimately led up to these murders, in my opinion. Yeah, that was really interesting that that was not allowed. When I heard that, I was like, wait, what? How can you just exclude all of that? That's a very important part of why this happened. Right, and nevertheless, these murders were premeditated. They would have gotten first-degree murder, but maybe not a life sentence. I think a first-degree murder charge is necessary. Like, at the end of the day, you can't kill your parents. You're gonna get in trouble for that obviously. There's no question, like, no one's trying to argue that they didn't do anything wrong, or at least neither of us, but to the degree of life in prison and or the death penalty, I don't know that that would have been deserved after everything they went through that pushed them to what at the time seemed like the only option. Right. It wasn't just, like, a life sentence. It was life sentence without the possibility of parole for the both of them. I know they've made appeals and they've all been denied. But I feel like the second trial not having those family history testimonies really kind of screwed them in the long run. Yeah, I I would agree. I also wanted to address, too, because I found it very curious, Mm. that the tapes from the psychiatrist where Eric confessed that he killed his parents. I don't know the laws around whether or not that has to be reported. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that it wasn't actually reported by the psychiatrist mm-hmm. at all. It was reported by the psychiatrist's angry ex-girlfriend. A woman scorned. And that is actually ultimately what led up to the Menendez brothers being looked at as suspects and arrested. I mean, are we glad that they served time for murdering their parents? Yes. But we have to ask ourselves, like, if that had not been broken... If this ex-girlfriend had not taken the tapes of their psychiatrist, like, would we have ever known that they did it? Would they have ever been caught? And to further that, would they have been a danger to society? Well, one of the things that they kept going back to is that this was a mafia hit. What the hell the mafia got to do with these two? That's why that train was of thought was thrown out because they couldn't find any connection to the mom and dad to the mafia or the mob and that's eventually why it was like thrown out and they did the kneecapping thing yeah which to make it look i'm not a thug i don't it something to do with kneecaps i'm gonna assume it's shooting you in the kneecap oh shit oh god dying but i just feel like that was so far-fetched for everyone to just think for so long like all these little old ladies oh oh, it was the mafia it could never beat the boys what the frick did a mafia got to do with this yeah that was kind of thrown in from left field yeah from people but i guess because it was just so outrageous like they were just like i don't who would have done this like i don't know and then another thing that the one of these friends said which like the documentary just skimmed on by is that they had this black lab and oh yeah one of the boys opened up the fridge one day and its head was in the fridge. We're just not going to address what happened there. We're just going to, like, breeze right on past that. Well, I am glad they breezed right on past that. I don't like hearing about animal sad things. Right. I can't talk. What? It's really, it's really effed up. I can talk about human crimes all day, but if you put an animal crime in front of me, I am, I can't, I can't listen to it. Can't well, talk about it. Can't, yeah. my brain doesn't process animal yeah. crimes. Very um, sad. And another thing that was, like, comedic... Not that that human crimes aren't sad. It just hits different for you. Yeah. The comedic relief of Eric talking about the argument between Jose and Lyle, where basically Lyle's toupee got slapped off of him. And Eric was like, I had no idea that was a toupee. 
Baby, that was obvious. Your brother had half a Chia pet on the top of his head. I didn't know that was a toupee until that moment. That I found out it was a toupee with, with Eric. You think that brothers as close as them, Eric's got like this nice, beautiful, model-esque hair. And Lyle's gonna have this Furby on top of his head. It was the 80s! It was awful! It was the 80s! <laughs> That's what... <laughs> I don't know. I didn't... I didn't know. I whatever like i'll get catfished one day i'll deal with it yeah and then i'm gonna have to give you all of the forensics behind why you got catfished so that's all the tea that i have for my analysis on this documentary you really you're gonna end it on his toupee i bitch i might (laughs) (laughs) it was quite the roller coaster this was, this was, this had some genuine twists and turns to it that I was not see, did not see coming. And I think this was overall like a very divisive case. Mm-hmm. I, cause I think a lot of people watch it and are like, oh, they murdered their parents in cold blood. They're terrible people. They need to go to jail. And I didn't see that. I, I mean, yes, they need to go to jail. They murdered their parents. But I think their family truly did drive them to that. And I think in the moment for two boys, one of whom is still a teenager, even though pretty close to adulthood, I think living and growing up like that would naturally give someone a breaking point. And we just saw it. And they were groomed to really boil up to this. Yeah, I mean, they lived in complete and utter fear of their parents. For you and I that didn't experience an abuse like this growing up, I think for regular people who didn't experience this in general, I think that is probably hard for us to put ourselves in that shoe because you and I grew up with the morals and values of normal people where they were constantly under this hand of abuse, emotionally, physically, sexually. They didn't have the same coping mechanisms that you or I had. For sure. They didn't know normal reactions. What did normal people do under this? So whenever you have your most forming years full of all this abuse, you're not going to react the same as you or I would. So with that being said, we would love to hear from you guys. Since this can be such a divisive case, like what did you guys think? Send us an email at crimetv at gmail.com. That's T-E-A-V. You can also message and find us on Instagram at crimetv, T-E-A-V. On our Instagram, you can follow the link in our bio and make suggestions for upcoming cases. We would love to hear your favorite documentaries that you want covered. Yes. Also, we have a TikTok, you guys. We're going to start posting. We need content. Find us there. At crimetv. You guessed it. It's T-E-A-V. It's how it always is. So now where to get in touch with us, let us know what you thought. Join us next week for our tea on Abducted in Plain Sight, one of Netflix's most talked about documentaries. Some trigger warnings I would provide going into it is that this is a case that heavily revolves around grooming a child into sexual acts. So there's talks about sexual abuse of a child. So I would prepare you for that. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Our episodes drop every morning on Mondays, 4 a.m. Central Standard Time. That's 5 a.m. if you're on the East Coast. If you're anywhere else other than Central Standard U.S. or East Coast U.S., look it up on your World Clock app. I don't know. Calculate it yourself. Yeah. I don't have time for that. <laughs> but we're really glad you're listening. Please keep, keep downloading our episodes. I just figure out the time yourself. All right. I'm Erin. And I'm Alyssa. And, and that's, that's the tea. tea.